Welcome to the Street Photography Magazine podcast, priceless inspiration and advice for street photographers everywhere. Hello again, and welcome to episode 42 of the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine, and this is the place for inspiration and advice by street photographers for street photographers. And I'd like to thank you once again for taking the time to put us in your ears. I hope to make this worthwhile for you. Can you believe it? It's November already. Seems like summer just started, and now we're heading back into winter, at least up here in the Northern Hemisphere. And first, I'd like to give a plug to our Facebook group called the Street Photography Magazine Community. It's a small but mighty and very active group of highly motivated street photographers who are there to help each other in all areas of street photography. So check it out by visiting TalkStreetPhotographyMagazine.com and then click the Join button. We'd love to see you there. Now I'm going to be doing a good bit of traveling over the next several weeks, and some of which will affect our publishing schedule. First of all, I'll be going to Cuba next week, which is really exciting. I grew up as a child of the Cold War, and during that time, Cuba was this mysterious place that was verboten to Americans. Now we're all able to go, with several oddball exceptions, that's for U.S. citizens, and it seems like photographers are flocking to the place. They say it's an ideal spot for street photography. It's full of very friendly people, beautiful colors, interesting backgrounds, and amazing light. So I can't wait to go. Now, as with every trip I take, I've been stressing over what camera gear to bring. I have this debate with myself before every trip I take. I mean, do I take my interchangeable lens body? In my case, it's a Fuji X-T1 with several lenses. Or do I stick with my trusty Fuji X100F with a fixed 35mm equivalent lens? That way I don't have any decisions to make other than camera settings. So after thinking about it, I decided once again to go with the fixed lens option and take just the X100F. I've done this on almost every other trip I've taken over the last several years and have never regretted it. Plus, I'm leaving my laptop at home and taking only an iPad to store and process my photos. I've been trying to refine my remote workflow over the past several years, and so this is really going to put it to the test. Apple Photos for iOS has come a long way over the last several years, especially in its ability to integrate with third-party apps. It just keeps getting better with every version of iOS, and iOS number 12 is no exception. But I haven't pushed it to its limits yet because my regular computer is always handy. This time I'll have no choice. Because of this trip, we've got to change our publishing schedule slightly in November. We always publish on the 15th of the month. However, because I'm going to be away without internet access, we decided to publish the November issue on Thursday, November 8th, which is a week early. I like to be available shortly after publication date in case anybody has problems accessing the magazine. So this way I'll be able to do that and then go on my trip without uh, worrying about our subscribers. Now my travels will also take me to the Miami Street Photography Festival. So actually I'll be taking two trips to Miami in less than a month. What's wrong with that, right? Well this year I'm finally able to make it to the Miami Street Photography Festival which will be held this year from December 6th through the 10th at the History Miami Museum in downtown Miami. I'll be speaking at the event about one of my favorite topics, which is leaving your photographic legacy in a digital world. I should know soon about the time and date when it's going to take place. And when that happens, I'll let you know. While I'm there, I'll be conducting a number of interviews for the magazine and podcast. And I also want to use this as an opportunity to meet some of you guys in person. So if you plan to be there please drop me a note at bob at streetphotographymagazine.com. It'd be great to connect in person. And who knows, maybe we'll have an informal get-together while we're down there. Our guest this week is Nikita Stupian. He's a Russian photographer who lived for several years in Toronto, Canada, and has just recently moved to Portugal. Nikita is heavily influenced by his father, also a photographer, and Henri Cartier-Bresson. Now, while many of us are all over the place in terms of our personal style, but Nikita has created a very consistent style in his compositions as well as his post-processing that makes his work very recognizable. So be sure to check out his photos and you'll see for yourself. 
I need to mention that Nikita had some internet connection problems that affected our audio quality during the last half of the recording. But we did the best we can to clean it up, and it should be just fine. So don't let that get in your way. Sit back and have a listen to my conversation with Nikita Stupian. With me today is our guest this week, Nikita Stupian, and a very interesting guy. He's uh, originally from Russia. He lived in Toronto, Canada for a while. Today, he's now living in Portugal. I think he just moved there. Uh, pretty amazing photographer, and he also has a degree in clinical psychology. I'm very interested in hearing about that because I have a feeling that has a big effect on your photography. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Nikita, Welcome. Hello, Bob, and uh, hello, everyone. It's uh, first of all, I want to say it's a it's a big pleasure for me to uh, to speak with you and uh, uh, to speak with all the audience of street photographers because uh, and also to hear the the English language so I can speak uh, because that one of the things I missed a lot. Uh, not too many people speaking good English here, so I have to learn Portuguese now, but uh, it's a pleasure for me to hear the, to hear the language a lot. <laughs> so, yes, hello to everyone. Well, you're in luck because I'll be speaking English to you the whole time today. And I'm really glad we caught up to you with all your travels and everything. But before we get into things, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, and uh, how you became a street photographer? Well, I, uh, I was born in Moscow. Uh, in the capital city of, of Russia, and I was born in 1986 there in a cold, cold winter time. It was, I think, minus like 40 on the day when I was born. Um, my, I was born in a classical uh, Soviet family. My dad was a military uh, person. My mom is uh, was a doctor. So it's like kind of a you know the classical family, the uh, military and the doctors. So. Uh, my mom always wanted me to be a doctor, and she wanted me to be a surgeon. Uh, uh, so that's, that was kind of a thing that I was growing up with, uh, the, with uh, my parents talking about that all the time. But my dad was into the photography a lot, too, and he was uh, experimenting with the film, um, film photography a lot at those times. And that was pretty, like, an expensive thing to do in the Soviet Union, that you have to collect all the chemicals, all the films and stuff like that. And it was because the Soviet Union was a closed, um, uh, clo very clo closed environment. So you have to find the stuff, you know, to, to do it with the, with the photography. And it was difficult. And I, I was observing my dad to do that, uh, doing that. And uh, that was, that had a big impact on me because I always liked that kind of a red, light in the bathroom you know this uh, the smell of the film and everything mm -hmm. but my, my experience started with i was just taking my dad's uh camera i was uh and and i was destroying i like to open it and took <laughs> off the film from it to rip it off because that was the magical thing for me you know open and there's something inside and my dad was always screaming and he was always saying like one day I will teach you so you will know that this is much more important than than you think right now and at the age of uh, I think I was eight 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 or nine years old uh, he showed me how the actual camera it was a Zorki the old Soviet copy of a Leica camera and I was using that and I started to to shoot. I started to shoot, but I, I I didn't know what to do. You know how to adjust manual functions of the camera, but I was doing it because I liked that. And that kind of um, and he was um, he, he was um, um, working with the films that I that I made, and that we had a collaboration with my dad. And kind of a you know, I'm shooting. He's making the films. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's how it started. So in terms of Get me getting into the medical field, answering your question, is um, I was studying on the first course uh, of the university in Russia. I was studying social sciences there. And at one point, my sister left to Canada with her husband, and uh, they were living in Toronto, and I was still living in Moscow City. Uh, and I didn't like the environment around me. I was just, like, involved in many, like, weird situations and things uh it was a 
football hooliganism kind of a culture that I was involved at that point of time. And I, I just wanted to do something good to study. And I didn't want to, you know, to see the people that I was, that I was with, uh, in Moscow. So when my sister told me, you know, come to Canada and, uh, you can study here, I said, oh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's perfect. So I have nothing to lose. And I left to Canada and then uh, I got into the medical university there in the medical, um, the university of Toronto. And I started to study there clinical psychology because that was, kind of a thing that I was also always interested in to understand the mechanics of the people's minds and how people think why they act like this and like many many things and I guess yes when you said the photography uh, especially the street photography has a lot a lot of you know to do with the psychology it is true because there are so many like little things that I can pick up from the psychology and implement them on on the street on the streets, and we we can talk about it later if if uh, if, if you want. But uh, like from uh, contactless shooting, one of the uh, techniques that I uh, that I taught some uh, some of the students in in Moscow University of Art, uh, and to the uh, more complex techniques of uh, being almost invisible on the streets. It all comes from the psychology. So I can explain later a little bit more detail of how it works in, in my case. But yes, psychology has lots uh, to do with uh, street photography. It probably does every time, but most of us aren't aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that really stands out to me about your portfolio as I look through it on the web is how consistent it is. Your Compositions are very consistent, and the look and the feel itself, the, your black and white treatment, is very consistent. What can you tell us about this? Yes. Um, well, my uh, I can say that my only teacher and the, my father of my, uh, you know, everything I do is uh, the teacher who I never met. Uh, it's the Cartier-Bresson, because that's the person who I just feel much more than anyone else. I just feel everything he does and I studied simple little things to the hardest things he, that he did. And uh, I usually try to, like I don't like to shoot uh, horizontally. I Most of my shots I do vertical. Uh, I don't know why, it's just like kind of a, kind of a thing that I, I just feel it more. I can compose better when it's vertical. Um, I'm trying to work with the composition uh, with the Fibonacci. I don't know what's the English, but I guess it's the Fibonacci spiral. Yeah, the golden spiral, Fibonacci spiral. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So uh, uh, I'm trying to replicate in what in what I do the the old traditions of the of the classical photography. And um, yes, like today, I rarely use like on my website. You probably want find any any film picture because uh, for me it's very, very complicated to use the film photography on the street right now because um, I usually control two or three or four or even more composition centers when I on the streets and I even use my LCD to see what's going on at the back of my uh, of, of myself so when I shoot forward I always have a look at the reflection in my LCD so I can see if anything interesting going on behind me. So I can turn around and and uh, shoot there too. So film for me, it's not. It's more of a fetish than a real instrument today because I know that, that I won't be so productive with the film on the streets because I live in a big city. I travel a lot, and for me, I can only pick up like a film camera as a second uh, second thing, you know, just to make some good, nice uh, film shots for myself. But I use digital, and for me the hardest thing was to kind of uh, kind of uh, follow the traditional straight photography uh, rules, but using the modern uh, equipment. In that way, uh, I never use Photoshop. I use Lightroom uh, just to adjust, uh, you know, just to make it monochrome and to adjust. It a little bit like uh, exposure shadows just like basic things you know to to make the, the shot looks uh, 
as you said, consistent to what I did before. Uh, but other than that, I don't change anything I see. I don't adjust anything too much. So for me, it's uh, kind of a kind of a thing of um, you know mixing the modern equipment, digital equipment, with the old traditional way of photography. And also uh, to say, like uh, when I compose my uh, my pictures, I uh, compose it uh, vertically, and I also very very precise on what's in the corners of my composition because I one of the things that makes me really mad uh, is when something is cut too mm -hmm. much over, over over the frame. I I just don't feel it. I, I I feel that everything has to be inside of the frame. And if it's not in the frame, that means that shot is bad for me. Like I I, I delete it or I'm not working with it because like the when I compose, I use the decisive moment every time. The rule of decisive moment works for me since I learned about it when I was 13 years old, I think, or 14, not later than 14. And now I can just be uh, on the street for like many hours waiting for something to happen and um, before I go out to the street or like uh, before I go to, to the square or you know to some kind of a road or market or whatever so this is kind of a, like the, the whole photography process for me is um, is kind of a scientific thing like I plan it a lot yeah that's interesting with the um, with your processing are you trying to emulate the look of a particular film type? Usually not. Uh, uh -huh. I, you know what? The, the, the thing with the processing is actually really funny. It happened accidentally a long, long time ago. Uh, when I was still thinking of what I want to do, do I want to work with the colors or do I want to go in a monochrome? And once I start finished my degree, I realized completely, yes, it has to be monochrome because monochrome gives a chance and ability to the people who see my photographs to actually construct them, to finish them. So it, for me, I just showing them the black and white picture and, and they bra their brains and they can basically paint the colors how they feel it. So. For some person, the sky may be more darker than for another one, or you know, this cold can be a black or a gray color for another person. So it kind of gives this 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 freedom of, to the people to finalize the actual picture that I make. And uh, also, uh, if we're talking about the film, yes, of course, maybe uh, you know. I, I guess this kind of a light picture because I have more of a pastel uh, kind of a you know feeling to the to the shots, so maybe it's some some kind of a Ilford um, Ilford one. But answering your questions precisely, no, I never actually wanted to replicate uh, some kind of a particular film. I just wanted to make monochrome and make it very soft, not hard. You know, you you. Uh talk about Brasson a lot and sometimes I wonder about the masters and you know of course they worked with what they had back in the day and yeah. they were probably using the, the best technology that was available I wonder what their work would look like today if they had the digital equipment that we now have I'm I'm pretty sure if we talk about the Brasson he will use the M series uh, analog still today but he I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure he's going to try the, the new equipment because, like, for me, I know the best camera that I, I want, right? But I cannot, um, I cannot afford it yet because uh, <laughs> it's, it's very expensive. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, but there is a uh, M monochrome in uh, Leica, uh, Leica yeah. camera, right? And, you know, for me and for any street photographer, because I use that, I tested it. And I, I tested a couple versions with the old uh, uh, sensor, with the new one. And I can tell that if you shoot in the monochrome and you work on the streets, there is no, there's just no better instrument than this piece because it gives you so much details. In, uh, and the whole concept of the black and white sensor is just incredible. Like it's, mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of a perfect machine. But uh, at the same time, 
like for me, the, the machine of a preference, I was in, um, uh, an ambassador of uh, Fujifilm for some time, for, I think for two years, uh, when I was living in Moscow. Um, and uh, I tested a lot of Fujifilm equipment. And today I'm working with the X-Pro2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mix it with the Soviet lenses because uh, oh. this is kind of a perfect mix for me. Yeah, it's Soviet lenses are very cheap. You can get them uh, like for, for example, for 60 euros. They're on, I know some websites in Russia that sells brand new, never used, straight from the factory lenses that are complete copies of the Leica lenses in the metal ha- uh, casings with the Leica glass and everything. Uh, still in a box with the oil in it. So you can just get it for like 60 euros. Yes, it's going to be manual, but you will have an amazing combination of, uh, you know, the old times and uh, the new one. So in terms of like Brisson, coming back to to this, I'm thinking that, you know, he's not going to, like even today, he won't use anything other than Leica cameras because in Leica you still have all the digital flavor with uh, with the film cameras in the, in their lineup, and those film cameras, the M series, you know, and everything, they are pretty sick. Like they're they're much better than they were before, and uh, they give you so much more abilities to to work with. Plus, as far as I know, there are uh, on the modern uh, film Leica cameras, they have an autofocus uh, that you know that the photographer can use. That's something that wasn't there back in the uh, uh, back in the Brisson days, and out of focus uh, can help you a lot on the streets, especially if it's very good and you know how to work with it. Because many photographers today and many people who shoot, who shoot they have a very complicated cameras, but they never learn uh, what their out of focus system can do. And yeah. this was. One of the things I learned when I was working with the 5D Mark III Canon back in the days, and because this camera had uh, a revolutionary, kind of a, you know out of focus system at that time, and I was amazed when I actually learned precisely how to work with this out of focus. And after that, I thought, okay, if I'm not shooting something still. I don't even need manual focus because autofocus will catch perfectly exactly what I want, exactly when I want it, and this is a good helper for me. So maybe Brisson would use that because that will, you know, that will allow him to do uh, more more shots, and maybe he will use that. Yeah, it also helps when you get older when it's <laughs> harder to focus manually. <laughs> Let me back up a little bit. So you're using the, the X-Pro2 with uh, Soviet yeah. lenses. Do you are using the Acros film simulation or are you shooting in yes, color and yes. then converting it? No, no, no. I use the Acros. Uh, I don't even know actually why I'm doing it because at the end my role, I shoot in roll, right? So my mm-hmm. roll files are actually like, yeah. uh, they, you know, they, they're colored. So, but I, I guess it's for me because I can see on the LCD, and I can see inside of my EVF, I can see, you know, kind of a black and white uh, tones and everything, how it's going to look like at the end. So that helps a lot because with monochrome, you're working with um, with the shadows and with the light uh, a little bit different than with the color. But uh, with the Fuji, uh, I'm looking for something different right now. Like I'm in a search. I wanted to buy a Ricoh GR2 just two mm-hmm. days ago. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go get that because I got I got to the point where X Pro Two is too big for me. Like I'm I don't want it anymore. I want to make more shots. I want to be more productive. And you know, one of the things I I did a lot for me, at the end result of my photography was always an exhibition. And that that why uh, back in the days when I came back from Canada to Russia. I uh, very fast becomes became the the, the most um, uh, the photog- the street photographer in Russia who had the most exhibitions. I had the exhibitions like all over the places everywhere, and they were supported. Like it, it was a good time before the crisis happened in Russia. So that was that was good. But uh, today, like I just want when I know that you know. When I use the camera, I always thinking, okay, can I print from it? Like, can I make the print 
things from it? And can I use it for something like physical so that people can see, touch, buy, or I can give it as a present? And I realized at some point that when I was using my um, the uh, X100S, Sorry to break in the middle of Nikita's discussion there, but we were having some uh, Skype problems, so we're now connected again. He's on a different device, he'll sound a little different, but we wanted to keep the conversation going. So Nikita, you were just starting to tell us about using the X100S, so if you can take it from there, we'd all appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, I guess I, I will tell a little a little bit of the background of the story, how I'm actually con- connected with the Fuji film. I, uh, I, I just arrived to Canada and uh, I was, because I cannot, I, I was, at that point, I was using the 5D Mark III on the streets and that was, that was pain. That was just like very bad and like everybody's, you know, saw me, like they, it was heavy and even my wrist was uh, in pain because usually uh, back in the days I was roaming the streets with the camera for like six, seven hours just straight, you know. And, and that was pretty, pretty bad because I also had to carry the big, uh, the big bag behind me. And that was another, another thing with the lenses, batteries and all that. And I guess that, that was kind of a thing, um, you know, that that's remind me uh, the USSR, like I, I'm a child of USSR and I grew up when in a world where, you know, ev- everything was changing for many of us. Like the first McDonald's opened in USSR, then the candies came out, the Coca-Cola and all of that, you know, the, the sweet stuff that, uh, that, that I got used after that. And the same thing happened with the cameras because at the point when I got my first mirrorless camera, the whole world was just into the, you know, the the DSLRs. And people were like, oh, my God, you're going to use that little, you know, little camera for, for photography. It's not working. You have to have, you know, the big DSLR because this is what photography is about. And... Um, I saw in the store in Toronto, I saw the X100. There was an S at that time. It was just X100. And I was amazed by the actual feel of the camera. So I, I, I took it to my hands. It was a used one, used camera, uh, and pretty heavy used, as I discovered after that. Uh, and I hold it in my hands. I was like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. This is just the perfect camera for me. I don't want to use DSLR anymore. I just want this little little instrument so I can go to the streets without bringing all that stuff with me and just make shots. This is what I want to do, make photography. And I bought it. I bought it for my last money. I think I spent like 600 Canadian dollars on that and that was a used camera so I when I got to the to, to my home and I started to play with it I discovered that the viewfinder was completely like destroyed it was just all with the lint and you know dust inside and stuff like that dust in the lenses dead pixels oh. on the matrix on the sensor like it was just dead it was the dead camera like i was and it was very slow like it was amazingly slow so i came back the next day i came back i gave it back to them and i was like guys like just don't sell that kind of equipment you cannot sell it to anyone because this is like a museum piece you just put it you cannot use it and especially for me because i'm ocd on on everything connected to my camera like camera has to be clean always and uh, so I gave it back. I waited a little bit, and then I saw the X100S, and I bought it. I bought it for much more expensive than uh, than than I got the X100. And with X100S, I became the the happiest man on earth because <laughs> this was yes, this was the perfect thing, a fixed uh, lens because I never use zoom lenses never in my life like i just don't get it i don't feel it like for me camera is um is something that has to you know push you something that gives you a good kick so you if you want to shoot that thing on the roof you go to the roof or if you want to shoot that thing somewhere there you go there like it's just 
kind of a manual thing, like manual or automatic cars. So for me, uh, the fixed is always better, always better. In terms of quality of the picture, in terms of uh, uh, skill, skills developing instrument, like it's much better. So I was in love with this camera. And I made, I think, six or seven exhibitions in Russia all printed from the X100S. So that was the, the, the point when I discovered that the sensor size is not that really matter for you. It's just, it's about how sensor processes the, the you know, the, the information, how uh, the, the overall software works, how the, what kind of lenses you use. And all of this together makes a good photos that you can print. So right now with my X, X, uh, with my uh, uh, Fuji X Pro 2, I'm like, I'm very happy with it, but it's just too big. So I want to find, but I, I, I don't want to get the X100T and I don't want to get the Fujifilm camera because uh, it's just something that I want to, you know, step out from for some time and try something else. So, so I was investigating of what are the possibilities for the small camera. And I found Ricoh GR2, which is the amazing piece of equipment for the streets. But there, there is a problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> they don't make it anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, they ma- they're making it. You still can get it. Oh, but I didn't know they still made them. I thought. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. making it. They're selling it here in Portugal too. But there is no point of getting it because in the uh, beginning of next year, the GR3 with the 20 something megapixel sensor coming out. That's what I heard. Yeah, I heard they announced it at Photokina. I like the Ricos. Um, it has a very unique look, and they are Absolutely. small. So you were talking about printing. Are you printing yourself, or are you sending it to a lab? No, uh, usually uh, this this is uh, like with the, some some people, you know, they think that with the digital photography, it's uh, easier to uh, you know to print and and it's not. It's actually it's 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 very hard because. Uh, obviously, I don't have my own uh, printing software because to print the the fo- fo- photography for uh, you know for exhibitions, and especially when you work in monochrome, because a little bit tonal difference oh. destroys the whole thing. Yep. So you have to be very precise on every picture because it can get into the reds, into the green, into the yellow, all sorts of stuff. And it all depends from the the person who calibrates the printer, the, the actual printer, the colors in it and everything. So the machine to to print uh, your own prints are, is, is very expensive. Like, and uh, so I... When we were printing our stuff, and I say we because I had a team back in uh, in the days in Moscow of uh, three people, and we were working together. So the mustache and glasses as a street kind of a photography crew, this, the idea behind it was to to make a real crew of four or five photographers who work in the same style. Uh, and you cannot distinguish between them. So when you see the picture, you see it as a mustache and glasses picture, but not as a like Nikita Stupin picture or like a Masha picture or someone else. And and uh, coming uh, getting back to the printing, uh, we found the one um, uh, printing company in Germany who actually prints really well, and they felt what we did were our photography, and they did a very very nice work with the adjustments and everything. But at the same time, we had we made tons of mistakes back in the days, especially when um, we were printing our uh, prints to, for the sale in um, in a big uh, kind of a snack network in in Russia uh, that sells digital photography prints and stuff like that. And we did a mistake because we printed 500 prints for them. And all of those 500 prints were in reddish, reddish kind of a color. Oh, so wow. it was, But we have to sell it still because we, we spend money on it and it's a big, uh, big amount. But for me, printing is like very, very difficult. So if I will make an exhibition here in Portugal, I hope so, because it's very slow here. And this is another thing to talk about, like how things with art here. But uh, if we will, if I will make an exhibition too, I will definitely send my um, my files to this Germany lab and just uh, ask them to do it and then ship it here. Yeah. Do they specialize in black and white? 
you know, uh, not really. They just, they actually, they specialize in photography. They, like, they're not uh, doing, uh, like, in professional photography. They're doing it for, like, exhibitions, uh, art oh. kind of a things and stuff like that. So they're very, they kind of a, have a feeling for every photographer. So they understand, they ask you some of the questions. They make you a list of questions to answer. They talk with you over the phone. And then they like, okay, so we're going to send you two or three prints. You'll see which one you like more. Uh, and then we will adjust the equipment to that, and you will have all of the prints like this. And so they're very precise with what they do, and this is the good thing. Well, there's also always, um, in that case, like, for example, if you like, because to ship it, you know, to, to Germany, for example, from US, that will be, I guess, that will be an expensive thing. So one of the things that I learned. Uh, I was just going to the actual printing uh, facilities and sitting there with them, adjusting all of the things and explaining to them, okay, this is not like this, so we have to test many times. It just takes time. It takes time, but uh, you have to just be there, and I guess you can get it even from the local kind of a regular printing shop still. There are just so few of them anymore. You almost have to send it away. Why are you in Portugal now? Uh, this is the this is the good question I'm asking myself too. <laughs> yeah. Not for the internet connection, I, I take it. No, no. But uh, you know, two years ago uh, I was working in uh, because like photography is 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 the thing that I love and I I do it. But in street photography, it doesn't bring any money. Like it just uh, no, no, no. And I was trying. My, as hard as I can to make it, to make money out of it. I was like doing millions of things and nothing works. Like, I mean, it's just like kind of a thing that just maybe it will work when you die, you know, like <laughs> hundred years after they will speak, oh, that, that guy who did those good photos and we, you know, we will study how he does it, the composition levels and everything. But for now, like, no, it's not going to work. But it, this is okay, you know, you do photography for yourself and you also do it to bring something uh, good, something beautiful to people, to this world. So this is one of the things. But in Portugal, like, I was, I wanted, because I'm into the, the boxing uh, scene kind of a thing, you know, I'm uh, coaching boxing and um, I'm uh, doing classical boxing and, like, I I just love this kind of, this sport and this is the, the another thing that I do for living so i wanted to open uh, a gym somewhere in moscow maybe but i didn't like like the moscow so much last years it was just too crowded too many people uh, you know the, the whole situation like you just you can feel the pressure uh when you live there uh, it's uh, kind of a thing you know I, I don't want to be into the politics or like anything else i just want to live a good life and uh you know do something good so i decided okay like uh, i have to find a place to to live where i can eat good fruits where i can breathe good air you know i see the beautiful landscapes around me and accidentally two years ago i i, I came to portugal uh i had a work trip to lisbon and I looked at, at Lisbon and I was like, no, I don't like this place. It's just like dirty city. Like, I don't want to live here. But then I, last day before I had a flight back home and I was with a group of people. It was a big team who came with me here. And uh, I went to Sintra. It's a little city near Lisbon uh, on the hill. Very beautiful very old and i went there just to check it out you know just like give the last chance to this place and maybe i will like it and after i saw sintra you know i was so amazed this happened to me first time in my life i came back to lisbon i went to the airport and at the airport i just felt i cannot leave i don't want to leave like why should i and i like you know just i stay here so i i'm like I called the guy and I said, I'm not flying with you guys. I'm staying here. Like, <laughs> I still have money. You know, I'm staying here. So I rent a photo in the Sintra and I stayed there for two weeks. <laughs> Stay there, went to Nazareth, to the beach and just look around. I like the people. I like everything around me. It's a little bit um, hard in terms of, uh, you know, when you're living in a big city and Moscow is, is, is like a New York City. It's a huge city. And 
when you live in the, those kind of cities, it's hard for you to adjust to the places where more like a countryside, I guess. It's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. So it took time for me to readjust a little bit. But then I came back again, second time here, third time. And on the fourth time, I just stayed. I decided, you know what, I'm, I sold my car. I uh, sold my apartment in Moscow, and I uh, now I invested in a um, boxing gym here in Gimaranj City, wow. up north. And I'm trying to open a boxing gym. I'm trying <laughs> because it's very hard. Uh, it's actually really, really hard here. And uh, But yes, I'm living in Portugal. I love it. I hate it. It's all mixed feelings. And uh, But I'm here, yeah. Like, to sit at one place... There's no point of it of, for that. And like I was in Canada, I loved it. Like Canada is my second home. I actually never been in US. I always wanted, and that was like my dream to just you know go around US, make uh, a series of the photos uh, uh, of this land because US USA is is a beautiful places. And like this is what uh, I spoke with one of my friends recently. He just came back from a long trip around the U.S. And we were discussing the photos. He's a photographer, too. And we were discussing his uh, work that he did there. And we were amazed of how big and different uh, USA is. And it's like, and he wasn't in the big cities. He was like in Alaska. Then he went to like I think New Brunswick and somewhere else. It's like all around the place. No, not New Brunswick. It's uh, Canada, right? I think. Uh, yeah, but he was all over all all over the countryside, and it was beautiful. So I always wanted to go there, but after. After all of this crazy like situation that happened in uh, politics, I can I like I'm just I don't know if I can get a visa to there. <laughs> so where can people learn more about you and your photography work? In terms of uh, the photography, I have a um, Master Gizart. This is the Instagram page, uh, official Instagram page of the photography I do. Um, I it's regularly renewed, so you you have minimum of like two posts per day the new photography is always there um, I will be actually really happy to see people there uh, and so there is an official website mustageandglasses.com where you can go and see all the, um, the new photos the collections we actually just finished the, the, the Portugal uh, Portugal collection calls um, uh, roads and castles uh, no uh, um, anyway, it's about Portugal. <laughs> it's big. It's there. I forgot what's the name of it. Uh, and I have a Facebook page. Uh, you can find me there easily too and, and talk with me. And I, I always love to talk about photos and make new friends and, you know, to collaborate. I also always in search for good collaborations with the, the artists, with photographers, with the painters and uh, like if we can make and create something interesting together, I'm always open to that. And that's uh, like, I will be very happy to meet new people. Plus you wrote an article for street photography magazine that will be appearing in the January issue. So everyone keep an eye out for that. It's really good and very interesting. Because for me, it's, it's a big story. It's a big story, but very short. Uh, I was, uh, I haven't actually wrote anything about photography for a long time. And I was writing a lot uh, when I was uh, teaching photography in the university in Russia. And I was, because for me, teaching and or telling it something or sharing the experiences that I have is the most fascinating thing about photography, even more than just shooting. And uh, I stopped doing that for some years because, uh, you know, like it just felt that nobody really like needs that. Everybody like just doing their own thing. And I was like, OK, I'm going to do my own thing, too. So I, I just kind of uh, popped out from from the whole thing. But then a couple of weeks ago, I was in a train here in Portugal and I was uh, sitting there. And I was uh, reading the reading your magazine and I was like, uh I was just like, man, I just want to write the article for for that because, because you know, and I I wrote two articles and uh, 
the second one I didn't really like, and so I deleted that. But that one, and for me, it was very important that you answered and you said, yeah, and, you know, you, you connected, uh, we connected really fast. Because for me, this was the... Um, this was kind of a, like a like a sign that okay you're doing everything right and uh, this is very very important this is one of the things that actually I wanted to tell to everyone because um, sometimes you have to you have to write or you have to stand up and go or you have to call or you have to email and just say you know something about yourself like you have to do something to receive something this is very very important because. Many people they're not doing enough to you know to 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 become better or to do something something different, and like if you were if you wasn't answered to me or if you weren't answered sorry for my grammar sometimes I forget about the proper pronounce uh, things in English, but if you didn't, I will probably just stop and I will stop for some some more time. I will be just like in the kind of a hibernation state for like maybe a couple months more, you know. But you answered and that kind of gave me about maybe 200, 250 more good shots that I did last <laughs> two weeks because I was like, man, I have to like go and shoot because, oh, yes, wow. because... And that's how it works. This is what I wanted to tell to the people who, you know, who give the platforms for photographers and also to the photo for the photo photographers too. Uh, it's a support that's very needed because when 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 you give support to me, I want to make more photos and be better and do something better than I was doing before. So this is perfect, and like I'm really, really happy that uh, it happened. And for me, it's a, it, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad you you said that at the beginning. You said you have to do something to receive something. Yeah, absolutely. And that's true. You have to if if you want people to notice you, you really have to reach out. You can't be passive. No, and sometimes it takes so much effort. Like uh, you sending the stuff to like hundreds of places. Like this happens with me right now in Portugal. I'm. Um, I'm sending my uh, the Portuguese collection to hundreds of galleries, to uh, different um, art uh, facilities, to like even to the Ministry of Culture and everything. And I'm like telling them, guys, I'm here. I can shoot. Uh, I don't need money for that. I don't need anything. Like just support me. Uh, I'm even gonna print my own prints. Like I don't need to pay for anything. Let's make an album for for, for about Portugal. Uh, or let's do this, or let's do that, let's collaborate, maybe we'll do some viral things, you know, and uh, just, uh, like, I had so I have so many, like, interesting ideas for Portugal, like, we can print uh, postcards, black and white, very nice one, just, just uh, put them on the street so people can collect them, and they can receive something for collecting them, there's, like, so many things to, we can do with photography, and none of the people answered, none. And not even one for like many months, and I had the same situation in every country I was living in Canada, in Russia. Like, you have to do that for a long time, and then one day, one person will answer, and he will be like, Oh, yeah, you know what? I wasn't reading the email for like two months, but yeah. now I see your email, it's perfect. Let's do it. It happens, you know, we get so many emails, so if you want to be noticed, you have to make a point, yes. And and you did. I saw it. You're a great example. Thanks for that. Yeah, one of the last things that I want to tell is to people, you know, do not be a, do not be afraid of uh, asking for help. This is a very, uh, you know, and for the photographers, that might be a good advice because uh, if you're, for example, coming up to the galleries or to the to the uh, to other people who you want to get a support from, and you telling them, oh, you know what, um, I'm I'm this, I'm that, and like uh, uh, I'm a brand or like something like this. This not gonna work. Like it's just not working. Like uh, if you come in like a regular person and you say, guys, like I do this, and you know I want to, I want, I need help to promote that, and I feel it this way. I'm like uh, want to bring these good things to the game. I want to be. To do this, you know, that 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 way people look at you from a different perspective, and you can find some good people who want to support you. So, just be simple. This is the this is one of the very important things too. That's a great point. 
And that's a good point to end on. So, Nikita, thank you. Uh, Thanks for your time and for all the problems dealing with Skype and hanging in there. And uh, thanks again for that article. I'm looking forward to publishing it. Thank you very much, guys, too. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Street Photography Magazine. It is the number one source for inspiration, education, and publication for street photographers everywhere. It's made by street photographers for street photographers. Street Photography Magazine is published once a month, plus a few bonus issues throughout the year. Each issue includes an interview with our featured photographer to discuss how they work and take a deep dive into some of their photos. It also includes photo projects and photo stories from photographers around the world to inspire you. And it's a place for you to publish your work to be recognized. For example, the Street Shooters of the Month section of the magazine. It features photos from members of our community. And many of our featured photographers have been selected from that group. So stop trying to go it alone and join the community. All of this for less than the price of a cup of coffee per month. Stop over and subscribe now at streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe.